Welcome to the MattCast. This is a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world a little bit closer together. My name is Matt Anderson, and I want to thank you for joining us. Today, I have a very special guest that I have the privilege of interviewing. Uh, Let me tell you a little little bit about him before we start. Um, He began his professional career as a dancer and then eventually interim artistic director of Footpath Dance Company. He then spent 11 years as an artist in residence at the Cleveland School of the Arts. And from there, he founded what became known as The Yard, which stood for Youth at Risk Dancing, which became a nationally recognized uh, and awarded after-school program. In fact, in 1998, he received the Coming Up Taller Award at the White House in Washington, D.C. from the National Endowment uh, for the Arts. Uh, He is a recipient of the 2012 Cleveland Arts Prize He's also received an award for outstanding contributions to the advancement of the dance art form from Ohio Dance in 2013. But now most notably, he is the founder and executive artistic director of Inlet Dance Theater in Cleveland, Ohio. It launched in 2001, and so uh, approaching their 20th anniversary, they have the mission of using dance to further people. Full disclosure, I serve as uh, chairman of the board for this uh, organization. Uh, Inlet actually has become a force locally uh, here in the Cleveland metro area, nationally and internationally for its artistry. Uh, He and his wife, Kristen, have been married for 20, how many years? Uh, 27. 27 (laughs) years. And their son, their son, Austin, lives out in California. Uh, Bill Wade, welcome to the MacCast. Thank you. I'm so glad uh, glad you can be a part of this. So we're going to cover like a, a myriad of topics under this because I'm, I'm always fascinated by people who create and how that happens. But also you're this artistic entrepreneur that I also want to I want to speak on that because I think we have a number of listeners who are going to have an interest in that, even if they don't know it yet. Right. There might come come a time. Um, but. Dance was not really your original artistic passion Correct. when you were younger. Yeah. Tell me about that. What was kind of the first? Well, I grew up drawing and painting, sculpting, playing with clay. Um, I knew uh, before I can even remember that I was, I knew that I was an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was blessed to have parents who were like, this is unavoidable. Just put stuff in his path. <laughs> and then as I got a little bit older, like teenage years, you know, I had a lot of, or even before that, like music lessons and, you know, piano lessons for too long until I, they realized I was just really bad at practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then tried guitar and tried several other things. And um, vocal music is the thing that stuck in high school because I was a dude and I could hit a note. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, then that happens mm-hmm. in high school. So I ended up in a, a show choir. Um, but I went to co- yeah I went to college to be I wanted to be an animator. Walt Disney was one of my mm. heroes um, for how he took this one little tiny idea of this mouse and, and built an empire out of it. And I just thought, you know, that's 
that's incredible yeah. to have this little image of this thing. And then I liked animation because it was artwork that was hand drawn, but it also moved. Freshman year of college, I run into modern dance and completely jump ship from my art, plastic art lessons, you know, drawing and painting and, and um, stopped doing animation. I made one animated film and realized that I'm going to spend the rest of my life holding still and I'm not really good at that. Yeah. So that didn't work so good. Yeah. Um, and, and I saw the dance, I was like, oh my gosh, I can be creatively hyperactive and proactively making with movement and other people's movement. And so the space of the canvas became the space of the stage and the paint became the bodies moving. Yeah, so like 3D animation. Yeah, I'm still an animator. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're really... It's just very different. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I personally, and this is only because of my last number of years involvement with with your company, uh, and, and and I've been I've been a part of arts on different levels for a long time. A long time. And I, th I do still think dance and choreography are the most misunderstood mm -hmm. art form. And that's not even just in the church world. I mean, it's certainly... Oh, no, that's in the world world. Yeah. yeah we're we're like, like one step above poets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> and then mimes are away. And the mimes are way down there. <laughs> what, why, do you, why do you think that is? And if you had a chance to just in a minute or two to educate someone on the importance of dance, what would you say about that? Well, as, so as a believer, mm. first, who happens to be an artist vocationally, right? Um, there is history as to why like, like the Christian subculture, particularly in America, is so afraid of the human body and the human body moving. Mm. Um, the rest of the world did not get that memo. <laughs> um, there's like a lot, a lot of it is his, historically kind of connected to sort of the Reformation and, and more, more so Calvinism and post-Calvinism and there's history to it and um, I think that there's, you know, where the America had a lot of people who were puritanical in their thinking and so the body was... Like seen as an instrument of evil almost, correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's so fascinating because like if you go to the Psalms, you read the last Psalm. Mm. It, 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 in like if you go back to the original, original text. Right. It's command form verbs of dance, you know, using dance to, you know, glorify, glorify God, worship, bring worship to him. So it's, it's fascinating. And I, I have this weird career trajectory and calling in the marketplace of the dance world um, and the art world, you know, the performing art world, arts and culture sector. Um, and then I've, over the years, have sort of learned the art of dance apologetics. Hmm. That's a good term. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably not a real thing, but... You're, you're almost walking in playing defense, aren't you? In a lot I'm of always way. walking in play, playing defense. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, sad. Yeah. I, and it seems like slowly, slowly, slowly that that the church world is starting to be more okay yeah. uh, with it, or at least certain styles of dance. Yes. You know, it yeah. doesn't necessarily cover inlet dance theater, no, American no, no. modern dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's one of those things, if you see it, you'll never forget it. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, uh, like the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, this is what dance is. I mean, honestly, I felt like I had never seen dance. I mean... 
I had seen Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, sure, and, sure. and you just go, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But I'd never seen like dance, yeah. capital D, <laughs> until then. Um, so it, it's it's not an easy it's not an easy calling <laughs> no. at all. <laughs> oh. No. So let let's talk creative process a little bit. Okay. How do um, how do ideas come your way as far as uh, as far as what to do, what to begin to set uh, to motion? Um, how do those yeah. ideas arrive? That's a really good question. It, it it depends on the on the project that hits me. Usually, you know, if I can be totally candid, yeah. Usually, the Lord will press something on my heart, or I'll notice something in that's going on in society, for example, mm. and I'm like this, you know, kind of wrestle with this, do a little bit of homework. Um, I because of the way that I am built, and the way I am my natural capacity, my natural wiring, I kind of, a lot of people, I know people that write write in their journal and that's when they kind of understand themselves. That's what dance is for mm-hmm. me. Like I'm, I'm not the best, as you know, I'm not the best writer. <laughs> but if I can move in space and I can get other people, and then it becomes like a tangible thing that I can kind of like work with and mold with my hands as it were. Um, and then I think that like the creative process is, is it's a very, there is a very clear process to the, you know, the, from ideating to finished product, getting the standing motivation, you know, at the Ohio Theater, for example. Right. Um, and, and I think that now the business world has created this whole thing called human-centered design thinking. And when I first learned about it, I was like, that's our creative process, but using their business speak. Mm. So now... They understand that we have a process that we go through, but ideating is the first part of it, and the, and you kind of go for qua- quantity before you try to apply quality to it. You have okay. to you have to allow things to just come out and and you know in the ideas. And I happen to be, um, it's the old like throw the pasta against the wall. Yeah, like in in like, internal language, we talk we talk about just throwing spaghetti in the air, right? Yeah, yeah. And then eventually you're going to notice like, oh, some of it's stuck to the walls. Let's take a look at that. It's that that kind of a thing. Um, a lot of times I'll get like an impression on my heart or like a very specific topic. Well, if it's a commission, it's it's an imposed topic, right? And then I have to you know. Is this commission from the Lord or not? Yeah. And is this the Lord speaking through yet? Because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times particularly lately because I'm older now, you know, I'll get commissions where people really want the company to address, you know, human trafficking or um, sort of like some of the things that are going on and some of the other pieces of repertory that are topic-based. But but it's me noticed, I don't know, if you're a Christian long enough, you can kind of notice the Lord's voice in something. Yeah. He tends to speak to me through people who are not yet believers hmm. in these situations, but I can recognize his voice. And I'm like, okay, this is a, like the Holocaust project. You know, this, I was asked to create, and it's going to take two, three years. But um, I could tell right away when somebody asked me, would you consider doing an evening length worth work about this person who's a Holocaust survivor? Um, I immediately recognize the Lord's voice. So then it's like asking the Lord, okay, what's next? What's, what's next? What's next? Is this you? You know, put out a few fleas, pray about it. But then then there is this, you, you may, we make what we call sketches in the studio. We get the bodies and I, so I, I have these images in my head and I just kind of like, let's try this, let's try this. Um, I do a lot of reading. I kind of over um, research just because it's kind of like. Is that possible? 
to no. over research yeah no and it depends on the topic because some topics are harder to find information yeah I'm getting sort of deluged with like the Holocaust topic, for example. I can't. It, Human trafficking at first it was hard to find stuff because we did it before it became like the thing everybody's talking about. Right. And um, but then once you get inside of there, it becomes this like overwhelming flood of information. And so then my job becomes the distillation process of going, what do I know that we can through our bodies together? do that will speak to this and then you go through this whole process of like what is the language of this particular piece that we're creating a movement language movement okay uh, so each each piece kind of has its own sort of physical language that we're creating for that piece for the world of that piece because like with this piece called wondrous beast the movement language inside of that is vastly different than like the black card project or like um Walk with me, for example, completely different pieces because the topic that's been over researched. Um, and we get in the studio, and we then you go through the process of like, what is this moment right here about? What is that leading us to? What is that moment about? So there is sort of a narrative tack that a lot of our work, our work is abstract expressionist, but there is a, a narrative drive underneath, and it's not. The, you know, once upon a time, there was a, you know, yeah. a little girl with a red hoodie on. Right. Going through the jungle or whatever. Um, that'd be interesting. <laughs> we just, let's call that a commission. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's, there is a definitely a creative process to it. You start with the ideating and you kind of distill what is the language of this piece. And then there's, you know, your, your knowledge of composition and like, who is the reader? This is Frank Furlong, your state's lottery director. On behalf of the State Lottery Commission, I wanted to say thank you for supporting all of our state lottery games from scratch-offs to draw games to multi-state jackpot games. Without you and your desperation, we wouldn't be where we are today. Because of your generosity in buying Powerball and Mega Millions tickets, the government is able to take in $70 billion and enjoy 33% profits, which is much higher than even the private gaming industry. We are so glad you don't care about that. We realize your chance of winning is one in 175 million, but to borrow from Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber, we're saying there's a chance. But I want to spend the bulk of my time thanking our most loyal and faithful customers, the poor. When we realized that the poorest third of our citizens bought half the lottery tickets sold, well, we took notice. This is why we have worked so hard to advertise in our most vulnerable neighborhoods. It's a simple rule. You go where the customers are. This is also why we have targeted our radio and television advertising to coincide with the dates that you receive government assistance and social security checks. 
So while you're figuring out which bills to pay and which food staples to purchase, don't forget to include on that list your lottery tickets. Frankly, to all of you barely keeping a roof over your head, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I don't know where we would be without you. We like to think of the lottery as an investment. Sure, for every $1 spent, the return is 52 cents, but that is an investment in your state government and our schools, by the way. Our schools are much stronger because of your lottery purchases. Oh, sure, almost yearly it seems that every school system is proposing new levies, facing layoffs, work stoppages, and strikes, but think about how much worse it would be without your contribution to the lottery. So let's keep our schools strong. Finally, I want to thank all of you who so enthusiastically enjoy our multi-state jackpot games. We know you have to make hard choices like mortgage, rent, car payments, electricity, and other miscellaneous items. So when people shuffle those around to make room for a game in which you statistically are more likely to be crushed by a meteorite, die in a plane crash, our elected president of the United States, win an Olympic gold medal, or lose an appendage in a chainsaw accident, we want to say thank you for your Hail Mary financial pass in the almost empty hopes of the dream of newfound riches. Now we realize we have our detractors, those who say that the government spends billions on nutrition and housing programs while simultaneously encouraging those recipients to then spend funds on our games and neglect household necessities. <laughs> All we can say is, haters gonna hate. So thank you, impoverished ones, for seeing past the lies and scratching away your credit rating to be a part of our team. We're glad to have you aboard. We are your state lottery. And remember, you can't lose if you don't play. When I think it's important that beauty is, uh, the word weapon is kind of, has some connotations that I don't mean. Sure. But I feel like beauty is a weapon to bring about transformative change mm. in a way that modernism, post-World War II, dark art, deconstruction, all of that stuff. Yeah. Got away from using beauty as a powerful tool to instill hope and to engage, you know, I think a lot of the work that we put on the stage is, is like it gives people permission to talk about something, but also um, the ability to have hope about whatever the topic is that yeah. they may or may not be on the resolution side of it. Yeah, and we're not, we don't have to hand out Xanax to people as they're leaving the theater. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? No. And, oh, so many times you're like, wow, I spent 30 bucks for that. 
And now uh, I'm even more depressed. Yeah, you're right. exactly. <laughs> right. I could have just watched the news at home and I know, that's done that. The for, same is there a least favorite process or part of the creative process for you? Is there a least favorite part, or is it all just oh, I love I love the whole thing? I do love the whole thing, which makes me sound a little bit manic, which is consistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the least, the most difficult part of the process is when the translation of what's going on in my head to the dancers getting it and understanding um the why i always start with why mm -hmm. i also do this weird thing to myself as a choreographer where i always set up a choreographic problem to solve that's got nothing to do with the topic usually the topic shows me sort of a construct that i can oh i haven't tried this construct let me try this construct with this topic because they kind of match in a way so that the content and the form are actually kind of like working together okay just so many forms to use and so some pieces just come through and out mm -hmm. and other ones you really have to wrestle to the ground and those, <laughs> that, <laughs> those drive me crazy yeah okay that makes sense do, do those I, I guess it's all over the place the ones you have to do the alligator wrestling oh my gosh because I, I use that terminology a lot no too. i like that i'm gonna steal that <laughs> Do those tend to be the most worthwhile, or is it just so? It just it's all over the place. Some tend to be that way. Some are like, ah, oh, it was okay. I think those went though the pieces that are really difficult in the process, like the human trafficking one, strikes oh, me as alligator wrestling so hard. You know, yeah. at, at its height, it was really hard because I knew. That, okay, here's here's what really pressed me, because that was narrative driven. We were working, collaborating with a a, a very famous playwright out of Los Angeles. Jose Cruz Gonzalez, and he writes in a style that I knew I knew from my painting background, but I didn't know that this is a thing in theater, uh, magic realism. So I was like, oh, there's a couple of magic realism paintings in the art museum. Maybe if I go stand in front of those, I can like have my aha moment, which is what I did, and it worked. Hmm. And because, again, with the art background, I was like, wait, that's that painting of those clouds over that field, and I'm going to go look at it. And then I kind of understood what he was doing mm -hmm. and then got on Google and did a whole lot of research and everything. But like one of the diff most difficult parts of that was it was very character driven and what happens to the characters from meeting them towards the beginning or, you know, a third of the way in or whatever to where we ended up by the end of the narrative that he wrote. Um, it was really difficult to get to a place of empathy for, well, there's three characters inside of that production, for example, that are just, very evil people yeah. doing horrible things to people. Um, Coyote, who's bringing people across the border illegally. There was um, sort of the pimp, right? Right. right. And then, um, and then there's the, um, sort of like the enabler, right? The one who kind of makes uh, that happen. Who kind of yeah, who arranges. Things. He's kind of like the middleman, right? Yeah, Between yeah. the two, right? And you know, I had this one dancer, Joshua, who had to play all three of those characters because he was perfect for it. But we had to really, in the studio, get to a place of having empathy for yes. these people that are traditionally, you just see them as demonized or evil. Right. People. Very one-dimensional. Yes. He's evil, we dismiss him. Right. But then we had to do the homework of like, well, how, how do people become this? What happens to them? Right. That they're a John, or what happens to them that they're a pimp, or what happens to them that they actually are involved being the middleman, doing the trafficking, taking, you know, the, the whether it's agricultural, sexual, whatever, um, slaves from one place to the next, they actually do all of that arranging. I mean, it, it's very much a big business. 
um, and, and kind of going into that world and not getting overwhelmed. Right. Because, but isn't this a beautiful little microcosm of what should be happening in life? Well, right. Right. Because, you know, we see people on TV and they get painted one dimensionally. Yes. And we just automatically go, oh, they're bad. Boo. You know, oh, he's good. Cheer. You know? <laughs> and. And you're like, I don't know anything about them. And, you know, we had a recent discussion with our board about To Kill a Mockingbird oh, yeah. with this book we're going through. And there's that great line. Atticus is talking to Scout and says, sometimes you got to get in a man's shoes yes. and, you know, walk in his shoes for a mile. And you got to and, and I think we have to do that even with the worst of the worst. It doesn't excuse behavior. No. But until we understand why people are the way they are, we're not going to grow as a society. And what's amazing to me is like, just open the New Testament, like this, Jesus did this, he sliced it so fast. Mm. Jesus didn't judge folks for where they were. And he met some folks, you know, <laughs> kind of like I have <laughs> and work with. <laughs> right. But, but he had this ability to slice it real fast and go through all of this stuff to the heart of the individual and have empathy and, and honestly have love for that person, which has got nothing to do with their behavior, but understanding that there's drive, there's logical driving mechanisms going on for anybody's behavior in anything. And just because our sin patterns might, might not be that heinous or uh, vibrant doesn't mean we're, we, we're incapable of being that. And so that in real art and real theater, that's our job as performing artists, is we have to get to the other side of that person. That's why, you know, some of these movies coming out of Hollywood are just so, they hit us so hard because like, how could anybody be that evil, for example, in some of these characters? But it's like, think about the performing artist in that situation where they have to get back behind right. this, the whole life story. Like we have these characters on the stage, right? We were required to write these essays about their family structure, how old they are, what ethnic group do they belong to, how did they get to where they are. That was part of like the producer really pushed us to really be thorough. So all of that information can be embedded in your body as you're walking across the stage in that character. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more work than people have any idea. I'll bet. And... And just being able to in America so that right. I think that kind of skill helps us to, to see past, oh, they're on the left or they're on the right or they're red or blue or mm. they're white, black, Hispanic or they're rich, they're poor. And, and getting, you know, God does not look on the outward appearance. No. He looks on the heart. He looks on the heart and like he created one race called human. Mm. And I think that our human need to feel superior than somebody else's is like this pre-adolescent need to kind of figure out where I fit in the scheme of things. And, and it's, it's so, it's so flesh, right? And it's, it's so, um, we are called as a people group who know the Lord to, to look at the inside of people first. And like, even in our, our training in the studio with our dancers, the technique that we use starts with the bone structure and the inside of the center of the body mm. and works its way outward. And it's interesting how the retread of training for dancers who are like oh, i've got my bfa or you know i used to dance for so and so they get into our st studio and i'm like no you're gonna lay down <laughs> i want to start on the inside of you and work outward and i think that we do that with the pieces we do that with all of the art that we create and i think we, and we i do that just because that's what the lord did in my life right because i came to the lord late 
and there was there was a lot of house cleaning involved. <laughs> so um, I just think that it, it's really really interesting that our human need for us versus them. If you're really walking with the, I think a lot of people when they get to heaven they're going to be shocked with who their neighbors are. Right. So I have I always walk around in my head with this thing of like, what does heaven look like right now? How is it? How is that acting? How is that? Um, the human economy of of this working out up there and then i look at what's going on horizontally around me now i've got plenty of material i'm never going to run out of material to create with <laughs> all right we will put a bookmark there in the interview the second half of the bill wade interview will air uh, next week on the matcast um, we really hope you can join us for that and we appreciate you being a part of the matcast our music is by sound of fusion we hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more info, go to mattministry.com. Thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time. <laughs>